Welcome to episode six of Decoding Devi. I am Brandon Hay with the IDP guys. You can find me on Twitter at HayB3. And uh, make sure on if you're on the YouTube stream to uh, subscribe to the page. There's tons of good videos coming out, um, not only about college, NFL, you know, um, you know, betting, uh, who to start, um, you know, in the playoffs. So go ahead and do that. And I want to thank uh, Dylan McKeg for uh, join, joining me. He can be found at uh, Kegger underscore 57 on Twitter. Uh, Dylan, thanks for joining. Of course, man. It's been a pleasure to get on. So, yeah, so you're in the uh, Discord uh, for Campus of Canton. So, uh, you know, we've, we've you know, talked a lot ever since that, that's been happening. Um, I did know you were a, a USF alum, but I just recently found out last week that you are also a Michigan fan. So that's a, um, you, you know, one out of two isn't bad. Uh, I am a UCF alum. So obviously, uh, you know, we have that uh, rivalry kind of going. So, um, and I believe you said you've been in CTC leagues for what, two or three years? Three years now, first year with uh, the, with all the guys from uh, campus to Canton. I'm in that uh, I'm in the Debbie Debate League there as well, um, known as Santa Claus in that league. So that's uh, kind of did not do well that year. <laughs> this year in that league, kind of gave away too many presents, I'd say. Yeah. So in um, you know, since you've had a couple years in C2C before you get started, um, so. What have you kind of learned and have you been, um, you know, fortunate enough to win any championships in any of your leagues yet? Yeah, I actually, uh, I'm in uh, one of the Fanatics leagues, which is with uh, Brandon Lejeune from all them, all those guys over there. I'm actually just won a college league and I'm competing for the championship next week for the NFL side as well. Um you learn a lot in college, though, after after your first year in C2C, that's for sure. Um, first year is kind of just go with it, find find what you can get and just uh, draft anybody somebody says and just go with it, see who, what you can do. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I started C2C this year, and um, it's funny, and everyone I joined – my college team was good. And uh, I think there's only one of my NFL teams that was good in the Debbie debate league. I, I just um, lost this week, but it's funny because I've been playing fantasy, you know, for 10, 15 years. And you'd think I would be better at the NFL side. Cause you know, I've done that before, but the college side, I guess, um, you know, I listened to a bunch of the guys at campus in Canton um, early on, you know, in Debbie debate and the campus life episode. So I got a lot of, you know, the, you know, Carson Strong and Cole Turner and those guys that they would they they kind of propped up. So that that helped me do do very well on the on the college side. But it's definitely a, a total different, you know, um, kind of animal. We've sent, you know, I I learned that uh, you need to get some of those Matt guys for those late, later games because at matching they, they just blow up. And, um, you know, um, if you don't have those, it's kind of hard to win. Yeah, in that league, I kind of did. Uh, I kind of listened to Felix too much on Debbie Debate. Um, got too many Zamir Whites and guys like that, unfortunately. <laughs> so <laughs> it didn't end up too well. Yeah, yeah, that that will happen. Yeah, um, you know, I uh, there's certain there's I think there's certain types of players you can listen to Felix for, and then there's certain ones you need to listen to everyone else. <laughs> yeah, I, I learned that the hard way this year for that league. <laughs> So that, that was interesting for sure. 
Yeah, so um, let's go ahead and get into, um, you know, talking about the college playoff. Um, knock on wood, uh, there looks like, you know, everything is going to move on as of now. I mean, we've seen the bowl games canceled. Um, I would re- I would really hope that they would do everything in their power to not have to have someone forfeit a playoff game. Um, I feel like they might be playing a little hardball with just like, you know, they put out that, you know, what they're saying, there would be a champion if all the other three teams had to forfeit. Um, I'm hoping that that was just to make sure everyone followed, you know, as many protocols as they could. But I I guess we'll see, you know, uh, this coming week. So we'll first talk about the Alabama and uh, Cincinnati game. Uh, First of all, do you think Cincinnati should have gotten into the playoff? That's a yes and no for me. I mean, they beat one good team this year, and I wouldn't even say they were good. (laughs) <laughs> that, that's the issue I have with that. I mean, they had Jake Cohn as their quarterback. Notre Dame did when they beat him. I mean, no offense to Jake Cohn, but he was terrible at Wisconsin. <laughs> so Definitely, yeah. And that was right after they barely beat Florida State as well. So, I mean, they beat a team that wasn't close to a team as of yet. Notre Dame came on right after those games. I'd have to say, and really started gelling in that perspective. But other than that, I mean, USF stayed within 21 points of Cincinnati. I USF was not good this year. I mean, we won two yeah. games, and we, we stayed within 21 of Cincinnati. So if they if Alabama played USF today, it would be 100 to 0. <laughs> So, yeah, definitely. I mean, yes and no to that because they are undefeated. They did, did beat a top five team technically or top ten team technically. But, I mean, betters put 14 and a half for a reason. <laughs> I think Alabama no, might be able to cover that. No, I agree. And um, I think what helped Cincinnati was, I mean, if you put someone else in, I mean, who would you really – who else could you really put in? I think that helped – I think if, you know, Oregon hadn't lost to Utah twice or maybe if um, Oklahoma State had beaten Baylor. But um, I kind of I, I kind of feel like they threw the, you know, the G5 schools a bone this year. Like there was really no one else. And it's kind of like they're most likely a sacrificial lamb to Alabama anyway because they want Alabama in the national championship for the ratings. It was kind of like whoever's going to play them is probably going to lose. So they were like, let's – so now we can say we put them in. See, see, I thought the only team that has a chance against Alabama was Michigan. I didn't think, I didn't think any other team in the country really has a chance against Alabama. I was like, if Jamison Williams does what he does as a true X factor, just runs down, destroys everybody in that on that nine route, I don't know anybody's going to beat Alabama. You can't cover that. Michigan has Daxton Hill, who possibly can cover do a too high on him. But other than that, I mean, Cincinnati's going to have to bracket him with Sauce Gardner the whole game. Yeah, I think um, it'll be interesting, too, because earlier in the year, Alabama struggled against stop, stopping the run. I mean, against Georgia, they were able to do it. If they're going to do that, I, I mean, I would think Ritter is going to have to run probably the most he's done all year. Um, they're going to have to use ball control like Georgia tried to do. But um, I, I think it's the same type of thing. If I think Cincinnati, if they can get a lead early or stay within, you know, like a touchdown by halftime, I think that's 
that's the main thing with Bama. You just have to stay in the game, kind of like what Texas A&M did to them. You got to just keep it close because most teams can't keep it close against Alabama. So that's that's the big thing. So, but yeah, Jamison Williams has just been on a tear, um, just beating everyone. And Bryce Young is playing out of his mind right now. Um, and with Jamison Williams' speed and how Bryce Young's throwing the ball, it, it's just really it's really tough. So obviously they Cincinnati can't get a track meet with Alabama, so it has to be probably in something like the twenties. And that might be stretching it a little bit and Ritt, you know, Ritter's probably going to have to be, have his best game of the season. And my only worry is Cincinnati's, you know, against um, Notre Dame and even Indiana, they kind of got off to a slow start. So if they get off a slow start against Alabama, I think it could be over pretty quickly. I agree. I think, uh, I think Ritter's got the most to gain out of this though. I mean, I currently have a second round grade on Ritter but I don't really have that many top high grades on quarterbacks this year. But, I mean, if Ritter goes out and beats Alabama, you think he's a first-round pick, high first-round pick? Uh, I think he's a first-round pick. I don't know how high. Even if they lose and he plays really well, I think that's going to upgrade him. Um, currently right now, just like before I really want get into like the tape and everything, he's the sixth quarterback, I think, um, you know, by behind the, you know, the, the, the main, the main five with, um, how and, and, um, Corral and then Pickett and uh, Malik Willis and then Carson strong, but he, you know, he does have some ability. I don't think he's overly accurate, but I mean, if he can show it against Alabama's defense, I mean, some some teams might overlook, you know, some of that and just, you know, say that, you know, he's that type of player, kind of like, you know, the gamer, the intangible type guy, yeah. which some teams seem to love love to go after. So, yeah, he definitely has a, a, a lot to gain from uh, from this game. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, going to the other game here for Georgia and Michigan, what, what's your take on that one? Did you think Michigan was going to – Michigan had a chance at all? Yeah, I. So, I've pretty much been going back and forth like every other day, like thinking that Michigan's going to, you know, because I'm a Michigan fan and I'm going to the game. So, um, I think that I think a lot of America will be surprised when they watch Michigan because I'm going to guess a lot of people don't like they just hear that Michigan runs the ball, so they think it's just like you know just straight up the middle. But there's so much variety in what they do with those reverses and. Quorum getting outside. I've heard Quorum's 100% healthy now. And um, I think they can pass the ball. I mean, there's there's times when Matt Namara scares me when he throws the ball. But I think he's a better down-the-field passer than Stetson Bennett. So I don't think either team will just be able to run the ball and win the game. So it's going to be whoever makes the most plays down the field, I think, passing the ball. I agree. Um, the only worry I have is George Pickens. <laughs> if if George Pickens gets gets back to what he was last year, I think George Pickens could be the X factor in the game. I mean, I got money on Michigan winning the national championship, to be honest with you, as a diehard Michigan fan. So those odds were like plus 1,300. So, I mean, it's hard to pass up. Um, I mean, Michigan matches up so well with Georgia. Defensive wise, they got Hutchinson against those Hutchinson and uh, I think it's a Jaro against those two tackles. 
Stetson Bennett's going to have to stay in the pocket against them. He's not a pocket passer. So forcing him to stay in that pocket and you collapse that pocket on him, that offense is going to struggle. Zamir White's average at best. I mean, the only guy that could really affect us is Cook. I think Cook can catch a lot of balls out of the backfield against us. The thing is with that is Cook's not – he's nothing like his brother, I'd say. He's not He's not as elite. He's not He's not going to break 10 tackles and get to the end zone on a little out route, something that matter. I think we match up so well with them, and I think, I think we'll be able to run the ball with them. Haskins and Corum, that one-two bunch with the trap game that we do, it's going to be hard to beat. Yeah, I agree. Um, my main worries you kind of mentioned – are with Pickens because I think our corners are good. Our, our, our secondary is good. But as you saw, I mean, even in that win against Ohio State, you know, they were able to pass the ball quite a bit, you know, those good receivers. And I don't think – I think if they can get the – if they can protect Sets and Bennett and, um, you know, I think Bowers might be a, a big X factor too. I would imagine Datsun Hill might be on him. Um, so that and I think another big thing for Michigan is the same thing with Ohio State is if I was Michigan, I would try, I would try to take the ball and score first because you saw with Georgia against Alabama, once Alabama got, you know, got ahead of them, they kind of like tried to speed up and, you know, kind of went away from their game plan. And same, same, you know, since if Michigan gets down two touchdowns to Georgia, I don't, I don't like that scenario. Kind of the same for both teams. Whoever gets the lead first, I think, can control the game. And then because neither team wants to be forced to pass, because you saw some of that with Michigan against Michigan State at the end of that game, you know, when they McNamara turned the ball over. Um, that's not really where they feel comfortable. Um, I know some, like, media people have been saying, you know, who has some more pressure. I think Georgia totally has some more pressure. I personally think Michigan's playing with house money now because, you know, I'll bring this up because um, it was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is um, did you ha- have any, I, any, you know, what was the percentage thought before the season that Michigan would be here? Let's say this. I thought Harbaugh was going to be fired by week eight. <laughs> so I had zero thought that this was happening. I was anti-Harbaugh, to be honest, full tilt. Like, he can't do it. He can't. I got to admit, he went into the well, got some of his coaches, got some of the coaches from his brother to help him out. Um, And it truly changed. Really getting rid of Don Brown was really the big factor on it, not playing man coverage every single play. But, uh, I mean, Harbaugh kind of changed my tune this year. I I thought they were going to be maybe a 10-win team, that they're going to do what they always do, win 10 games, just sneak through teams and – lose to Penn State, lose, lose to Ohio State bad, and then just come, come back next year because Michigan's going to do what they always do and say, oh, Harbaugh, we love you. <laughs> but, I mean, I was shocked with them doing what they did this year, but you got to thank the seniors for that, really, with Haskins, Hushinson, Daxton Hill being the five-star that he truly is. I mean, that defense really took a hold of the team. And then that offensive line was massive this year. I didn't think they'd be good after losing Runyon and all the guys last year on the offensive line. So for them to get where they were, I mean, that was shocking. That Ohio State game, I was jaw dropped the whole game. 
No, I agree. And my 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 stance has always been I didn't think Harbaugh was gonna be able to do it either. But mine was too. If Harbaugh couldn't come into Michigan, you know, with the whole Michigan man thing, then who's coming in next? Like who are they? I mean, if he wasn't gonna do it, then you're probably going back to the well for someone like Rich Rod to like change everything. We saw how that that went. So I was kinda like, you know, I guess but he 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 changed things. I still there's still more I need to see or to think that Michigan's going to stay on this path, like, you know, year after year. I still think they have to throw the ball better and not be as, um, you know, doing the same thing with runs up the middle because they're not always going to have that offensive line that's going to be able to do that. And uh, one thing, going back to Georgia, I don't think Georgia's going to make the same mistakes that Ohio State did. Um, I know Ohio State's defense is not very good, but if I was Ohio State, I would have just loaded up the box, just make them throw the ball. Like, I don't care if you win. I don't care if, like, we leave people open. Just make them throw the ball in the snow. And, I, you know, I know there's not going to be snow in Miami, but I've got to imagine Georgia's going to, you know, put everyone in the box and pretty much, you know, dare them to throw kind of the same way Michigan's going to do to Georgia. And I think whichever team is able to throw the ball more consistently down the field, I, I think will we'll, um, probably win the game. Do you think George is going to have to load the box with Jordan Davis and Anthony and Kobe yeah, D? Yeah, well, they probably, they probably don't have to load the box as much. Probably not. They could probably do it. I mean, they. I would imagine Georgia probably thinks that they can play, play you know, man as much as they want and then keep as many people in the box. So I think that's why it's important to get – Maybe Andrew Anthony or you know or or Roman Wilson deep you know one of those early early plays just to back them off and I think that would be that'll be that'll be huge. So I do like how the Michigan offense is more aggressive this year. They take those shots early earlier in games, um, and they've worked in some some nice trick plays. So I'm I'm sure that'll be coming, um, but I mean they definitely seem like a like a different team this year. Um, then years past, they seem mentally tougher. When bad things happen, they fight back. Whereas if that Ohio State game was, you know, a couple years ago when Ohio State brings it within seven, they probably crumble, fall apart, and end up losing that game. But they came down and scored again. So, um, you know, that definitely was a good sign. Yeah, the thing is that everyone forgets, too. Do you know who was committed to Michigan before the year that would have made this team even better? Xavier Worthy. Yeah, I don't – I mean, for him, I, I mean, I just don't know if we would have ever used him as much as Tetsis does. But, yes, he would have been amazing to to be on this team and, and everything. So, um, yeah, so we'll um, we'll move on to that. You know, I'll allow you to talk a little US Bull, USF Bulls uh, football. Um, you know, so Jeff Scott came from Clemson a couple of years ago. You know, one and eight and two and ten this last year. Um, so, what? How do you feel about the program? And you know, um, what do you think he has? You know, length of stay there. Um, you know, in, in terms of winning. I mean, last year. I mean, his first year, you can't really blame him. He kind of got handed the worst team I've ever seen on paper. So that one and eight team back in twenty twenty. I mean the the AD basically came in and said, Hey, this is going to be years as long as you want it because we're handed nothing like Charlie strong 
and Willie Taggart. You've seen what Willie Taggart's done to every school he's been at. He destroys them. I mean, Charlie Strong is the same way. Texas hasn't been the same. Florida hasn't been the same. So, I mean, USF's kind of been the retread school for coaches, just hiring coaches that destroy their schools, get terrible recruits. And by terrible recruits, I mean people that just aren't good. at. <laughs> they're not good. They're just basically athletes that don't know how to play football. Um, so, I mean, I, for me personally, I like Jeff Scott. I think he's going to have four or five years here. Till he finally gets it completely turned around. I mean, he's been hitting that transfer portal really hard these last two years. So he's been getting the guys. They're building it. They're actually, uh, they just built a uh, indoor uh, practice facility for USF. So they are building it and they are actually going to have a on campus. They're making a, a stadium for them. I think it's supposed to be done. By 2025, 2026, something in that they were stating. So, I mean, they are truly building that program up. It's just they're going to – it's going to take a little bit <laughs> to get there. UCF, you will have your days for the next few years on that case. Yeah, I think – I truly do think – because when I went to UCF, they weren't good. Um, and they – they my senior year, they built the stadium. And it really changed everything, the, building the stadium on campus – and I think USF really like missed an opportunity because they were they were the team that was you know like winning ten and eleven games they were close to that um, and if they could have really they could have really put UCF more in their place at that time especially if they could have gotten their facilities upgraded and done all of that and I think once UCF kind of flipped the script it's been hard for USF to kind of come back come back from that because you know it. it it kind of switched over um, with that. So I think that's a big thing. But I think, um, you know, they're smart by getting all these players, these uh, transfer players, you know, that go to, you know, that some are from Florida, some are not, that go to these other schools and it just doesn't work out. You know, since then this season, they've gotten 10 players from Power 5 schools on offense and defense. I have on the screen, they got Coffrey Brown, who was a four-star a wide receiver that went to North Carolina. Um, he was a top you know, 225, uh, you know, player. And then they got a Jew, a Jew from uh, Clemson. He was a three-star, but still, you know, that, that talent at, at USF. Um, so I think they're trying to maybe speed up that process because obviously it doesn't matter how great a recruiter you are. If you come in and say, you know, we've only won three games in two years. I mean, not a lot, you know, it's going to be hard to kind of build that program quick. So I think getting those transfers in to maybe manufacture some more wins will be huge for huge for them. So um, who are some players that uh, people should look out for at USF um, for 2022 for C2C, uh, you know, formats? Yeah, the guy, the guy that's getting all those players there that people are kind of – I mean, the C2C guys are on them, but – Timmy McLean, the quarterback, the lefty. He's he's kind of he's a true freshman this year, but man, when he came in, he went off. He I think he runs like a 4-5-40. He truly is a true dual threat. He will he will make he will make it a lot of fun to watch USF football. There's no defense in USF. So it's just throw the ball, throw it deep and QB runs. Um, the key thing with him is he actually went to high school, won state championship, 
with the, the USF's number one wide receiver at Timmy Horn, um, both out from Orlando. They both won multiple state championships together. So they have a true connection there. That's something if for C2C, they do put up the numbers for you if you need a spot start or something in that case. McLean might be a C2C starter in probably a year or two for us. Um, truly depends on how he develops. The thing is with Jeff Scott, he is known as a wide receiver recruiter. I mean, he was the one that got D-hop back at Clemson. He got all the big names at Clemson for wide receivers. He is the wide receiver guru from Clemson. You notice once he left, the wide receivers sucked at Clemson. I mean, you can pull it up. They suck since then. You look at the wide receivers at USF since he's been here. Xavier Weaver, no one's even heard of the guy. Put up, He put up starting C2C numbers last year. He was putting up like 15, 16 points a game as a, as a wide receiver from USF. I think he was a two-star. So, I mean, you add in a coffee round, you add in a Juju, and then you keep uh, Timmy Brown. The guy, Caffrey Brown, I'm not sure what role he's going to play with um, for USF because he kind of plays that same role as Timmy Horn. Um, so, I mean, he's going to have to carve out his own role. But I think Kajuaju is going to get on the field and he's going to get hit. He's going to get running because what he does is he's a vertical threat that's physical. He's going to run the nine routes. Timmy's just going to throw it up to him or uh, McLean's going to throw it up to him and get that done. So, maybe we have a chance against UCF if uh, we have a miracle on defense. We did just get a new DC. <laughs> oh yeah. They, they, um, they actually stuck with uh, UCF th- this year pretty well, but I think part of that was you guys played well and um, you know, just watching it, it looked like we did not play overly well. Um, I wanted to ask you because I did have Xavier Weaver a cu- on a couple of my C2C teams. Do you think with these new receivers coming in that his role is going to be diminished? I do think it's going to be a little bit diminished. Um, the only thing is, is that with USF not really having a good offensive line or good tight ends, they might run four wide a lot. And truly, Weaver is a true slot by nature, by the way he, the, his routes, everything in that route, in that method. He might actually do well because USF runs a lot of crosses, a lot of crossing routes, easy on quarterbacks, stuff like that matter to make it easy. So he still might get fantasy production, but I doubt he's going to be what he was the last two years when we really had anybody on the outside. Yeah. And I want to ask you for running bats. Is Jaron Mangum going to be the, the lead guy next year? You think still? So that's interesting because they have two running backs. They have him and Brian Batty. Brian Batty was an all American as a kick returner this year. Brian Batty. I mean, he's small. Trust me, he's never going to make it to the pros. He's 165 pounds soaking wet. <laughs> he's from local Sarasota boy. So he's a, he's a true Florida boy, but he's very agile. I think, I think uh, I can't remember his name. You just said it, Mangum. Or, uh, he's going to get the bulk of the goal line carries, everything like that. So he's going to be more C2C relative um, for that matter. But Batty could truly take over a game if they really wanted to. He's kind of got that Darren Sproles type type of body and everything in that matter. Well, that'd be, that would be interesting. And like how you said that, uh, Timmy McLean, you know, do a lot of running around, you know, and, and throwing, you know, so that could be some different opportunities running bats leaking out, you know, big plays like that. So and like you said, I think, um, I think McLean, I think because I believe I wrote up the, um, 
the American conference last year, the previews before and uh, McLean was one of the ones that I, I talked about that he probably wouldn't play because he had some exciting plays in the spring game. And so this year is probably another year of, you know, kind of development and maybe next year will be even better because, um, you know, I, I'm guessing at USF, you know, most of those guys are going to be there three or four years, you know, the full four years because they probably aren't going to have those numbers to, um, you know, leave early. So he could be a fully developed four-year player. And even if he doesn't make, make it to the NFL, you get those years of production, which, you know, you always need in those C2C leagues. The thing is, too, is he doesn't have Kate Norton blocking him off anymore. So he's actually getting first-team reps all summer, all spring, everything in that method. So, I mean, he's a big quarterback. I think he's 6'5", 6'5", like 215. So, I mean, he's a good-sized quarterback. So, I mean, if he does develop, we'll see what Jeff Scott can do as a developer. Only his second year. So, we'll see if he can actually develop talent. Definitely. And just, you know, kind of comparison – you know, at Georgia Tech with Jeff Sims, Jeff Sims hasn't been a good passer. But, I mean, he's a you know, athletic you know, quarterback that can run. So we've seen, you know, there's definitely fantasy value in those, those athletic quarterbacks that can run, you know, even if they're still trying to you know, figure out the, the passing aspect. I would actually take Timmy McLean over Jeff Sims in C2C as well as in, like, Debbie. I think – I mean, if you look at the, t- the teams, two teams, I think USF actually has more talent on the outside – after after Georgia Tech lost Gibbs. So USF, I think, actually has more talent and could actually do more in that perspective. Man, that is a huge indictment on uh, on Georgia Tech. But, um, you know, I can't I can't really say that that's wrong. I know, you know, losing Gibbs and I think they lost they're losing a couple other receivers. And, you know, they just haven't seemed to been been able to pull on that talent. So we'll kind of switch gears and go a little more on the Debbie side, you know, um, Obviously, Jameer Gibbs went to Alabama. Um, Georgia Tech really—it's um, amazing that he did anything at Georgia Tech. When I when I pulled up the numbers, they were actually rushing yards was actually more than I thought he had because they were always down and you know they couldn't really throw the ball. And then you know he still had some good games, but um, I'm excited to see what he does in a um, in a real offense. You know, especially Alabama. Um, so what are your thoughts on, you know, um, Gibbs to Alabama? So it's funny. If you actually asked me two years ago, I, when I first started, I was the biggest Jameer Gibbs fan. So that was when I first dove into C2C. I found him at, like, the bottom of all the things before rivals jumped and everything. I was like, Gibbs is the RB1 for me. I love Gibbs. His whole high school tape. He was a dude every time. He was just like a Georgia Tech. He got hit in the backfield every single play, and he just broke off and made made something out of nothing. So I was like, all right, Gibbs is going to be the guy. Georgia Tech just needs to get somebody around him. Now he's transferring to Bama. The only concern I have with Gibbs is he's only 200 pounds. So you look at the NFL threshold, there's no running backs under 210. Alabama should add 10 pounds to him. And then you also got add in there's what four or five star running backs on Alabama as well. So that's the issue I have with that. I think Gibbs though, I think Gibbs is going to blossom with Bryce Young. I mean, Bryce Young doesn't look to run the ball. He looks for a drop. He looks for the dump off. He looks for everything that Gibbs might get 40, 50 receptions next year. Being a third down back. The only issue I have is, is Jace McKellen going to stay and steal some of that work? 
or is Kamar Wheaton or I think they have Henderson coming in this year too, but Henderson's a little small. Needs to get some weight on him. I mean, Gibbs is going to have to – He, I'm hoping he's not another Eric Gray. <laughs> That's all I'm hoping. Yeah, I hope not either. I, I think Gibbs is way better than Eric Gray. But, um, no, I agree with that. And I do wonder too um, – I've got to imagine, you know, Gibbs going to Alabama, I'm, I'm sure they told him, you know, what their plan is for him. And I think, you know, they're losing Jamison Williams and um, and the, the offense is going to be a little remade, I would guess. I do wonder if maybe they will run the ball a little bit more, you know, with, with him, you know, in the backfield. I would love to see how he'll do at Bama with a, you know, better line, you know, a better quarterback so people don't stack the bots. So, you know, he could be a guy that he might get only eight to 10 carries a game, but that might be for 80 or 100 yards and then throw in the receptions. I agree. I think he's going to have a ton of receptions. I think they're going to use him well. And I I love Jameer Gibbs, too. Once, you know, I, I started getting into this, he was a running back that I loved. Um, you know, obviously not as good as Bijan, but I would take, you know, Gibbs after Bijan. You know, um, you know, he's on the top of my list just because – he does what the NFL is kind of going towards those guys that can, you know, the slashing runners, the guys that catch out of the backfield. I think if the correct team gets him, he could be, you know, uh, you know, uh, an Alvin Kamara type player, you know, kind of they do similar things. Um, you know, you'd obviously need the, that other running back that would, you know, have more carries probably. So that in that case, Bama, you know, has those guys where they could split up the carries and it's probably good for Gibbs into the NFL so he doesn't have to take the beating that he probably would have gotten at Georgia Tech. The only thing for me is, is which not many people are thinking of with Alabama. Every year Alabama's had a deep threat. They've had a guy that runs a 4-2 down the field where they can't load the box. I mean, you look at Alabama, you look at Saban's teams, he always has a slot wide receiver that can run a 4-2 that can make you, makes you stay deep. You can't load the box on him. Who are they going to put in? Who are they going to put in that slot? JoJo Earl? Is it going to be Troy Brooks? I don't think either of them are close to Jamison Williams or what Henry Ruggs was. But when he was there as four two guys that are going to, you can't load the box. You got to play deep. That's my only issue with them is that they need somebody that's going to spread that deep, spread that defense out and spread that field um, to get that running game going. No, I, I agree with that. I do wonder if they kind of change it a little bit with Bryce Young being so good at decision-making and getting the ball out where, you know, they, you know, some of those freshmen this year, you know, developed next year. And then um, I don't I, – I think uh, – John, has John Mechie said if he's coming back or not? He hasn't. He hasn't, he hasn't decided. I mean, if I was Mechie, I would. He's, he might have that Devontae Smith, Torrey ACL, come back with Neisman. Type season if he does. Yeah, so, you know, regardless, but I, I do wonder maybe they put Gibbs out wide more and just go like four or five wide and just do like a quick, you know, more of a quick passing game than, you know, some of the things that they do, you know, longer down the field. But who knows, you know, they might get another transfer like they got with Jamison Williams because when Jamison Williams went there, I thought it was a bad idea because they had all those freshman receivers. They had Mechie, and I was like, you know, he never made it to Ohio State. What's he doing? I mean, apparently he knew what he was doing because look at him. He's jumping up draft boards. You know, some people have him very high. I think he's going to be a first-round pick. 
And in the right situation, I think he could be really good. So um, it's definitely interesting. And, you know, um, it's just crazy with Alabama. Not only do they get all the freshman recruits, they're getting all these, like, transfer, you know, these really good transfers, you know, because you would think they wouldn't go there because they're depth charts. But, you know, I guess when you can win a ring there and, like I say, for the, you know, Jamison Williams, they get the – in the NFL, they get that Bama bump. You know, just being at Bama, you know, especially wide receiver-wise, they're going to bump him up. I would say running back-wise now with how good Najee Harris has been this year, um, it just get, it just gets um, bumped up. Now, this next player is not as big of a name, but I actually really do like him. Um, Tinsley from Western Kentucky decided to go to Penn State. I know in the Discord a lot of people were surprised because I believe it was rumored maybe to Texas Tech. Um, so how do you feel about him, uh, going to, to Penn state? And do you think, you know, he made a good choice there? I mean, it is a big time program. Would you know what year he is by chance? Is he a sophomore or junior? I think he's a sophomore. I think he's played two years. So it really depends on his status for me. So I saw that Clifford's coming back for another year. So he's going back for like his sixth year. Feels like his tenth, based off all I've seen. I think Clifford's terrible <laughs> in his own right. I mean, he's a true Big Ten quarterback. He's just like Cade McNamara in that case, where they're decent, but the wide receivers are going to have to support him, not the other way around. Um, if Drew Aller comes in, their freshman five star, I think Mitchell Tensley will have will dominate. Uh, Tensley actually reminds me a little bit of uh, Allen Robinson in that regard. So it's kind of funny when he's, he went to Penn State. Um, the thing is that I want to see Tensley outside of that Western Kentucky system to see what he can do. If he had a great bowl game, it was funny. I was watching the bowl game. I didn't think he was going to be playing because he entered the transfer portal. Um, but Bailey Zapp just or Zappy just uh, he targeted him. He targeted him often. He targeted him a lot. I think it was like 10 or 15 targets in that game, and he was just catching everything. I think Tinsley has the potential to go pro. I think he has that ability. Um, he's going to have to prove it, though, at that Big Ten level. I mean, Big Ten wide receivers, they make it in the pros, but you got to dominate. That's the issue. Yeah, I'm in – I think he could put up big, big numbers like at, at um, Texas Tech, but maybe, you know, like you're saying system-wise, I mean, Texas Tech's probably going to spread it out. So maybe he thought, you know, Penn State's going to be more, you know, um, higher profile. And maybe he took into account, you know, um, Clifford's there, but, you know, Allers come in and, they, you know, they have some good running backs and they can throw the ball. And I actually looked at Sean Clifford's numbers. I mean, they're obviously not great, but they're way better than than I anticipated. Um, and I think, I mean, if he stays healthy, I think he can run a functional Big Ten offense, like one that can score points, you know, and put up yards. So it'll be interesting with uh, Jahan Dotson leaving, you know, um, I guess in Parker Washington will be like the lead guy and then, you know, everyone else coming in. But uh, it's definitely uh, interesting, especially if Tinsley stays maybe two years um, then he could, you know, have two years in the Big Ten and, you know, good good production. And to be honest, there's not really a ton of great defenses in the Big Ten, you know. Um, so he, you know, but it still gets that that claim, you know, of being in a Power Five conference. And if you put up those numbers, you see, you know, you you're going to, you're going to get 
get looks because even look, Michigan never used Nico Collins all the you know the best ways, and he still got drafted, and he's still doing you know he he caught his first touchdown. So um, I think you just have to show flashes, you know, and, and get enough production, and you know you can uh, you can make your way into the NFL. He is a similar size and uh, like uh, route routes and everything as the Dotson did as well. So that's something that you can also look into and be like, hey, I mean, you put him in that Dotson role. I mean, that's probably what Penn State sold him on. They said, hey, you're going to be our next Dotson, and we're just going to go that way. I mean, Parker Washington's more of a 50-50 guy. He's going to go run his nine routes and catch the balls. He's not going to be your slasher, your guy that's going to get separation. And that's why I'm not high on Parker Washington is because he can't separate that well. I'll take a guy like Tensley all day because he can he can separate, get open air, get some room. I mean, that's what the NFL is going towards. So, I mean, I think that's what Penn State saw in him as well. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. The NFL is definitely going away from those guys that are just big guys that can outmuscle, you know, uh, players, and they're going for the ones that are get separation, good route runners, you know, quick speed. So that's definitely something. Um, yeah something to think about I, you know we've seen that last year and it'll be interesting with some of the receivers coming out this year what receivers where they go kind of like you know a drake drake london where he goes you know because he's in the role of more you know the the bigger type receiver so um and now i wanted to talk about um just like devy leads and tight ends i know a lot of leads have uh tight end premium so they're looking for those you know nets tight ends you know because the after you get past the top like five or six tight ends in the NFL, it's all just a bunch of guys that you're hoping they catch a touchdown each week. And if not, you know, you're not getting very much potential, but my thoughts kind of been, obviously if there's a Kyle Pitts, you want to get him in Debbie because, you know, he's a, a, a special talent, you know, and whatever, but then other tight ends that are just okay. Kind of like this year, you know, that Jalen Weidmeyer, you know, he's an athletic player, but at Texas A&M, then, you know, he never, really got that far over 500 yards. So in Debbie, you know, you're obviously wanting to pick players before they come to the NFL. I just think I would rather look for the potential in the other skill positions than for the, for the, for the tight end, because you're kind of wasting that pick unless you get, you know, an elite type guy. What's your kind of um, opinion on that for Debbie leads in tight ends? So for tight ends, I'm actually trying to pull up one of the guys right now who I consider is like one of those tight ends that you're bringing up. I mean, I actually just committed to Miami if it uh, rings a bell for you. Let me see here if I can find uh, Jaquiel Skinner. Um, okay, yeah. He's kind of like that Pitts type esque of tight end coming in as a freshman. I mean, I'm I'm a big tight end guy. I love. I love tight ends. Pat Firemuth, I was a huge Pat Firemuth guy. I took him in almost every Debbie league I had because I knew he was going to be good. I was like, Pat Firemuth's got it. Um, I mean, you got uh, you got Meyer. You got – I wasn't a big – I wasn't – I'm not a big Watermeyer guy or like that type of tight end. They don't work in the pros typically. I mean, Pitts just right now just – broke or is like 50 yards from a thousand yards but i mean they haven't really used him as a tight end in atlanta i see a lot of the games being a box fan so it's like 
wait, he's not actually playing tight end. Um, so I wonder how long he'll be actually listed as a tight end um, in that perspective. But, I mean, as tight ends, you really got to – like I take one every single year in fantasy, like in the rookie supplemental drafts in C2C, just because you have no clue what you're going to hit. Um, the thing is the systems in college don't really use them. Like you can look at Ohio State this year, Rucker. Rucker's got all the potential in the world. Ohio State doesn't throw the ball to him at all. I mean, they don't throw to tight ends. Tight ends just aren't used really in college unless they're big physical blockers and they can catch a nine route basically down the center of the field, kind of like what Gronk does now for the Bucks. So that's really tight ends are hit or miss. You you have a better chance of finding a tight end in free agency in C2C than you do drafting one now. Yeah, I agree. And I think the biggest thing with C2C, I learned I learned this this year. You could think that they're going to be very involved. Like I got a ton of Theo Johnson this year, you know, and um, there was, there was a one league where I, I was getting a zero from tight end every week because I, the tight ends I picked, they just didn't play or they didn't get catch passes. So I think on the C2C side, you're kind of getting players – I guess there's two sides. You get a player kind of like a Cole Turner that is going to get a lot of college production or get a player that might not have a lot of college production, but has, you know, kind of like NFL, like ability and talent. I think one for me is at Michigan, Eric all, he's never going to get a ton of stats, but I think he has good speed and he's a hell of a blocker. And, you know, he could be in that kind of mold of like a Pat Fryermuth going to a team like the Steelers that likes to run the ball, but like, uh, red zone, you know, threats. So I think CCC, that's it. But for Debbie, I just see too many times um, people like if you have a three or four round Debbie draft each year, just kind of reaching on like the Charlie Kohlers and those type of tight ends. And I would much rather go for a running back or wide receiver because I, ju- I just feel like they have a bigger hit rate where these tight those tight ends, unless they're the elite ones, you know, like um, probably. Bowers whenever he comes out, Mayor. Um, but some of these guys just – I don't think they're they're that good. I, Ruckert's a good one. I actually picked him late in a pretty deep Debbie draft last year, and I knew he wasn't going to do much at Ohio State, but he does check a lot of the boxes, like you said. So that's kind of, um, you know, one of the positions where you're not going to be able to go by stats in college usually, you know, with the exception of players like Pitts. Um but yeah, it's it's if they can you know kind of have that that body size and they're a good blocker, and you know a lot of times it's just what situation, what team they go to. The thing is also, and there's a difference between C two C and Debbie, basically based for tight ends. A lot of people get that if they're new to C two C, they're gonna just see the big names and they're gonna be like, oh, we got to get these guys early for tight end. They think that. I mean, this year, I, I picked up Jason Myers in, like, half my leagues. He had a tight end designation on fan track. So, the dude played running back most of the year. So, I mean, C2C, yeah, it's, totally it's a totally different game in that perspective. When it's Debbie, you can let him de- develop. You can get a John Beck. You can get a Bowers. You can get one of those guys late that nobody's going to know about, really, um, because they're going to take two, three years to develop in that case. I mean, how many people do you know drafted Eric Gilbert? in Debbie in like the first three rounds because he had a hundred rating. I I fell I fell for the trap because 
when he had, I think it was when he went to Florida, like we did the Debbie draft when he had um, committed to Florida. I was like, sign me up, you know, it's going to be the Nets pits and everything. And then he went to Georgia. I was like, okay, still fine, still fine. And then everything happened. And now it's kind of like, you know, you hold on to him. But I mean, I have no idea what's going on with him, you know, if he's ever going to play again. And, you know, I know some people um, hate Debbie because of that fact. But I, I think I like that part. It's like, you know, it, it takes it a step further. And, you know, um, I want to do some videos kind of on the intro to Debbie and then intro to CTC just because I think once you do Dynasty, the next step is Debbie. And then obviously from Debbie to CTC, it just takes you a step further. And it, like, makes you feel even more like a general manager of a team because, you know, you, you get to do that picking and everything and, uh, you know, it's kind of like anyone that ever does, you know, those Madden franchises. You, you want to be able to, like, you know, play that role and everything. So I got a question for you based off that. How long were you in Debbie before you went to CTC? Two years. Two years of Debbie. So, I was the same way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let me tell you, my first Debbie draft, it had uh, the three. It was a three-round Debbie draft. And I got uh, Kyle Pitts, Rondell Moore, and Sam Howell. And then the following year, this year, it was only like uh, one extra round. And I don't know how, but I, I got Jameer Gibbs too. So the thing, the thing that's crazy though is I'm still like, lo- I'm still like losing all the time because, because you know, I, I've had Julio Jones, which has, you know, done very little um, quarterback wise. I had Dak this year and Baker and obviously Dak until this last week hadn't been doing it. It's, just the crazy game of fantasy football so yeah totally get it especially for that that last perspective there for you i'm in uh i actually uh, created a 15 uh 15 man debbie league this year so it's 15 rounds uh the interesting thing about it though in the draft you could draft debbie or nfl players all at the same time so people were taking debbie guys super early i think trevion went in the third round and he went, he went before Bijan, and I was like, "What are you smoking?" Oh. <laughs> and I love Trevion, but like before Bijan, before the season, I'm like, "That's a hard pass for me." Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's crazy, but it's it's like people see these big names, you know, the the freshmen and everything, and they jump on it. Sometimes it hits like Trevion, you know, but sometimes it you know it 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 doesn't. So. Um, that's interesting. And I just want to close. Do you have any um, any sleepers for uh, next year, C2C kind of like guys that maybe had a role this year, but you think that, you know, they'll, they'll just get, you know, more production next year? Um, I can give you one for each position. Tight end John okay. Beck. Tight end John Beck, LSU. I think, I mean, I picked him up in a few leagues off free agency. Not many people know about John Beck. He's a good tight end. I think he's around 6'4". Um, 215, he's kind of got that Brock Bauer size. Um, but the only issue is he had Max Johnson throwing him the ball. So you put him on LSU, you get Boutte on the outside. He's going to be somebody that's going to blossom with more reps and everything in that case at tight end. At running back, I mean, you can't go wrong with Donovan Edwards. I mean, you give him more reps. He's that five-star from Michigan. He's going to go off. Um, it's another sleeper there running, but I know Donovan Edwards isn't really a sleeper. He's kind of a big name um, based off this year. Um, another guy I'd really like to see 
go off. Um, I mean, you can get him cheap now as EJ Smith, the running back for Stanford. He hasn't done anything for two years, really. I mean, he got hurt last year, but he does everything the NFL wants at running back. He catches the ball. They had him playing slot. They had him doing everything in that matter. He might be, he might blow up this year with Austin Jones kind of out of the picture. You put Stanford with an actual that in that matter, he will, he will be good. Um, wide receiver, you stated him earlier, Anthony from Michigan. That guy, he is a burner. You give him some reps. You actually get like JJ McCarthy throwing the ball instead of Noam McNamara. He might actually, uh, he might actually catch some balls and get get some reps in that case. So those are the guys I I look forward to and everything in that matter. I mean, the transfer portal is going to be interesting with every guy transferring in that matter, seeing where they go. I mean, there's going to be you're going to see some positions blow up like. I mean, Worthy's going to be huge. He's going, what, top three in C2C leagues because he's with yours now. I mean, and then – but the guys you got to look out for is is the scheming campus, campus Canton. So with Tinsley, with uh, the guys going to Texas Tech, the coaches there from that Western Kentucky and stuff in that matter, you got to look at the schemes and see who's going to be good in that case. I mean, who's going to replace the running backs and stuff at Fresno State this year? I mean, you got Hayner coming back. Who's going to replace Ronnie Rivers? Things in that matter. So, those are the guys, the positions you got to look for and stuff in case like that. Yeah, you um, you, you, you stole my thunder a little bit again with the Andrew Anthony. I I personally think, I think JJ McCarthy's going to win the job. Um, I know it'd be crazy because I I think that could still happen if Cade leads into the national championship. Because I think. I think it was closer than people really thought between them this year. I think JJ will just be better. And he just gives so much more on the offense, you know? Um, so I think he'll win. And I, I've been saying, you know, Andrew Anthony should be getting the ball more. Um, I think it's going to help that Ronnie Bell comes back because he, you know, the top corner will be on Ronnie Bell and he'll get production and that'll leave Anthony open more. Um, I think Roman Wilson is more of a, like the guy they use on trick plays, you know, the flea flickers, the, you know, reverse passes and everything. Um, so I, I love Andrew Anthony. And even though he hasn't had production, there's usually one catch a game where it's not like just like him running down the field. He catches it like one handed or over someone. So I agree with that. Another one is um, Chase Brown at Illinois. Um, he had over a thousand yards this season. And I think he could be even more, under that Beeland system. Um, I think the running back room might be a little more clear. And he only got over 15 carries four times this year. So he was getting all those yards on limited amount of carries. Another player, um, haven't seen him play in college because he's been injured, but uh, Thomas Fedone, uh, Nebraska, um, tight end. He was, you know, highly recruited. And I think they'll probably try to use the tight end uh, quite a bit more. And I think the other day we were talking about him um, – uh, Donovan McCauley from Indiana. He had to start some games this year and, you know, definitely going through growing pains, but you saw his, how athletic he is. Um, he's just so much more like physically gifted than um, Michael Penix. So I think, you know, you saw what Michael Penix did at Indiana. So I think if he can develop, maybe not next year, but the year after that, I think he could be um, really big and you could, 
get him very late in, 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 in drafts or probably even just a throw in on, on certain trades, you know, if you're already in a, a C2C league. Yeah, the fun thing with uh, with McCulley is, uh, you know, it seems like he was just a throw in at, at Indiana to get his brother. Because his brother's the five-star guy coming in this year. Yeah, yeah, um, that's that's crazy. So the thing is with him is like he's a lot better than what you thought. Because was he? I think he was a three-star guy coming in last year, and for him to truly blossom in that role, I mean, Indiana had nothing. <laughs> I mean, that team yeah. was like gutted. I mean, I definitely. I think Cincinnati put him as a, one of their best wins, and I was like. I think every team that played in Indiana put their backups in in the second half. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I definitely agree. So, yeah, those are some good names. And, um, you know, obviously we're still in season. And I think even after the playoff, you're going to see some players on those playoff teams probably transfer out, um, you know, stay for the playoff, maybe hopefully get a national title, and then see the writing on the wall with freshmen coming in that they might be further down on the depth chart. You know, I'm sure that's going to happen with all those schools that already happened. So, you know, there's still some players that haven't decided. You know, Zach Evans is still out there, and you know, I'm really interested where he's going to go. Um, and I'm sure there's there's some others because there seems like there's a new 20 players every day in the transfer portal. So, uh, so Dylan, thank you for coming on. Uh, I really enjoyed talking some uh, Michigan football, and, and you know, and even some uh, South Florida football. You know, gave me some uh, some good names to watch out for and taught some Debbie. And um, so that'll do it for this episode and we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks, man.